This is Lightning Power Lunch with Dave Mishkin and Greg Linelli on Lightning Radio. You know, I think just try and come together as one. You know, um, I think there's some times where, you know, we were all playing by ourselves or differently. And, um, you know, just make sure we're all uh, we're all playing as one hockey team out there. And, you know, like I said, just make sure we're, we're doing all the right things and, and trying to uh, play the right way. Fire drill happens when you've got 30 of them. Fire drill doesn't happen when you have 15 of them. So if you're going to double the amount over 60 in a game, that just compounds the issue that you're having. So uh, for me, cut those down, not as many fire drills. Cut them down. Cut them down. Yes. Hopefully that starts tonight. That was my question, by the way. Really? The one to Cooper. He didn't really answer it. He answered it the way he wanted to. Are you surprised? No. You want to hear the actual question? I mean, if you want to, yeah. Because yesterday he said when you turn the puck over, tracking becomes basically a nightmare because guys are out of position based on the fact they're in position for where they're supposed to be if you're moving the puck up the ice. If it if it changes hands, they have to scramble to get into the right position. So my question was, like, what do you instruct your players to do in that situation, basically? Like, how do you prevent it not from being a fire drill? And that's when he said, the problem is when you have 30 of them, not 15. But I, I'm still wondering, like, if you have 15, that's still a problem, right? And, I mean, I guess it's just you have to do the best you can. It's like you gave the other team yeah. a, a 10-yard lead in a 40-yard dash, and you have to try and right. catch up. <laughs> but thanks, Steve and Austin, for pulling that clip. Well, I'm in studio, so I'm not lost. Greg apparently has come and gone. Is he back? I'm here. Okay. We were dancing. You went into we the dancing. you went into the, the the black hole of the black hole. Yes. I was actually going to ask radio. you how often do you think coaches actually answer questions? Coop's pretty good from the media. I think I think what he is so it's not that I think he heard the question and said I'm not going to answer that question. I think what what has been on his mind is the number of turnovers the Lightning have had. And look, as you have said so many times, Greg, a full 60-minute game is is the goal, right? But it's not really realistically attainable. And I would put a turnover-free game in the same category. You are going to have turnovers in a game. Hockey is too fast of a sport. And whether it's the other team is forcing a turnover or you're making a mistake, they are going to happen. And so... The, the part of, of the question, I guess, that Coop answered really goes to the heart of the matter to him, which is we need to cut down on these turnovers. And if we do that, the game becomes more manageable. So he just kind of answered a different sort of question. Like if I had said, how do you make the game more manageable? Well, let's cut down the turnovers from 30 to 15. You know, I, I don't want to say it's a we feel or we sound like a broken record or even John Cooper, but don't you get the sense when the Lightning do struggle, and, and maybe this is for most teams, but I think especially for the Lightning, it's puck control, puck possession. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you agree? Even when they were rolling, 
games where the Lightning have struggled. It's the other team maybe is is forcing them into some circumstances that has allowed them to not be great with the puck, or maybe it's just unforced turnovers on their end. I mean, it's yeah, we've had that debate too. But I I think anytime the Lightning are struggling, it's not necessarily their goaltending. I think for the most part, it's not because they're not scoring. Although you're going to see patches where guys are hotter than others, but I, I think it collectively comes down to they're not they're not being careful with the puck, whether that's in their own zone. I mean, we've talked about this before. Maybe even in the neutral zone. That I think anytime the Lightning have struggled, it's it's been in that area. Do they usually fix it? They do. Yeah. It's it's volume though too, because again, very rarely are you gonna have a game in which you don't turn the puck over at all and, and sometimes you do make unforced turnovers. The question is, are you doing it are you doing it a lot and are you doing it in a way that's really exposing your team? So the the idea about like when you turn the puck over it's hard to track, where is that turnover happening? How how damaging is that turnover in terms of what it gives the other team? A puck turned over at the offensive blue line with nobody behind you, then that's a breakaway. That's a problem, right? <laughs> a cross-ice pass in the offensive zone that gets intercepted and is coming back the other way might not lead to an on-man rush. They're both turnovers, but one is more potentially damaging than the other. So I think it's volume and severity. Yes. I think in the two games the Lightning have won this year, the volume of turnovers has not been a big problem, which is why, not coincidentally, they have outshot the opponent in the two games they have won. That was something else that came up yesterday. I think Brandon Hagel talked about that. We're giving up too many shots in part because we're turning the puck over. We're not we're not clearing the zone when we have a chance. We're giving teams multiple opportunities to to try and get pucks to the net on a single shift. That is true. So I would say in the two games in which the Lightning managed the puck the best, and I would say the Buffalo game is is maybe a close third behind the Nashville and Vancouver games, they didn't have a lot of turnovers. But think back to that Vancouver game early in the second period. They had two of them, yeah. and they both turned out to be pretty damaging. The one especially, like the turnover behind the net leading to the Besser goal, that was a bang-bang play. The other one was a turnover. It was it was a rim around the boards. That puck shouldn't have been rimmed because there was nobody from the Lightning to collect the puck along the boards. It came right to the Vancouver player. But... It was still a turnover. I'm not sure that that led immediately to like a bang-bang play in the net. I mean, it was a pass, a shot, and a goal. That one had a little bit of a different feel, but it was still a turnover. So in the games the Lightning have won, they've had fewer turnovers than in the games that they have not won. But in all the games, seemingly, they've been hurt by turnovers, which is why they've yet to have a game in which they've held the opposition to fewer than three goals. Needs to get better. Yeah. Cooper has also talked both today and yesterday about the fact that, because he's been asked about this tweak to the defensive zone, 
And he really feels that a lot of the Lightning's problems are not related to that. It's more related to turnovers leading to scramble plays against as opposed to being in their structure where the other team is trying to make a play in the offensive zone, not directly after a turnover. He would know. I mean, he's watching the the video. He knows what he wants to see. So that that came from the head coach. I do think it is still an adjustment for the players, but the turnovers that they are committing would be a problem whether we're in the first two weeks of the season or the last two weeks of the season, regular season. And you're right, when the Lightning have had problems going back over this terrific stretch in which they've had deep playoff runs and won Stanley Cups, usually we're talking about turnovers. Yeah, and maybe certain players struggle a bit more in that category, and it it's highlighted a bit more when the Lightning are, are going through some problems. But I, I do think it's it's a collective thing. We always we always seems like we come back to this conversation about puck possession and turnovers and a lot of times people will talk about the back end as the culprit. But I, I think it's 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 more than them. I think it is a collective thing because it it could be we have seen the forwards at times, partner, you know, not be great with a puck mm-hmm. and you know sometimes you put your your back end in a, in a pretty tough spot to back up and i think and then that's kind of where your goaltending bails you out as the last line of defense they're going against the team tonight i was just reading rod brindamore's quotes from the other day i mean they're they're not clicking in all cylinders he had a quote no. at the end of the uh, the one article at nhl.com partner that was basically like we're not panicking yet <laughs> So you can get I probably he's getting those same questions. Now they've had some injuries too. They have. And I'm sure that's guys or what is it, Peshin, Svechnikov are, are getting closer. Well, Svechnikov has been out all year based on an injury and surgery that he sustained and had respectively last year. He tore his ACL. Pesci got hurt on their road trip out west. He is not going to play tonight. Aho also got hurt on the road trip out west. It looks like he is going to play tonight. And Freddie Anderson got hit in the mask with a puck. And that's why he left the game that that he was in when he got hit and has not played since. But it sounds like, based on what Mike Maniscalco told me, because I was in studio when they were kind of running the lines, getting ready for the show. I was, but Mike texted me. It sounds like Kachetkov is going to get the start tonight and Anderson's going to back up. The story is that their last game in Colorado, Anderson was in the starters net for the morning skate. And then it was after the skate he decided that he was not well enough to play. He had taken a puck to the head. That's what, yeah, that's what I said. Yeah, 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 to the mask. Yeah. So look, you know, that can have an effect days later. And I guess he didn't feel right after the morning skate, but it kind of threw the, not the goalie rotation, but the goalie preparation game day preparation schedule <laughs> into a little bit of disarray. So Kachetkov got the start, but Kachetkov didn't know he was starting when he woke up on that morning. It was only after he had gone through his skate as presumably one of the backups or the backup that he learned, yeah, I'm in. And Colorado scored six goals. Carolina's troubles this year on on – 
on the one hand, the Hurricanes' troubles are understandable. They play their first game at home, and then they went out west for a five-game road trip. They returned home, actually, after the last game, and then came down here for basically the end of the trip, and then they're back home after tonight's game. That's a tough schedule. It is, and they're 3-3, three and three, so it's not like they're 1-5. and five. They didn't lose every game on the road trip. All that is true. And they have an injuries. They've lost their number one center, they lost one of their top 4D, and they lost their top goaltender on the trip. But some of the things that we're seeing from them are very un-Carolina-like. This has been one of the best penalty-killing teams in the league the last couple of years. In fact, two years ago, they were at 88% on the penalty kill. That was first in the league. That's among the best penalty kill percentages in NHL history as long as they've been tracking that stat. That's how good they were. Last year, they were 84.4% second best to Boston during the regular season. This year, they're at 67.9%. And before you start talking to me about, well, Anderson's hurt, like Anderson has been hurt before, and it didn't affect their penalty killing. They've dealt with injuries over the last couple of years. It does not affect their penalty killing to the extent that it has affected their penalty killing this year. I do not expect that that is going to continue, but when you wonder, remember we had that comment yesterday, Carolina is the worst defensive team in the league in terms of goals allowed. They're allowing five goals a game. Well, if your penalty killing is down under 70%, that's going to inflate your goals against. So that is very surprising. And the other surprising part, and and look, the Hurricanes are not a machine where you just wind them up, although sometimes it feels like they are, and they regularly outshoot the opposition 2-1, to one, but that's their game. Like, when they're on, they have the puck a ton. They're firing a lot of pucks to the net, and they usually finish with a lot more shots than the opposition. But this year, while they've had some of those games, they've had other games where they have been outshot and several games in which it's basically been a push. I'm going to see if I can look up their game-by-game here and tell you, which is, again, very un-Carolina-like. So, okay, they open against Ottawa. Shots were 42-30. to 30. That is a prototypical Carolina-type game. They had a win against the San Jose Sharks. They outshot them 42-16. to 16. San Jose is off to a tough start this year. They're in sunrise tonight, the Sharks. Lightning will see them on Thursday. And then a game against Anaheim. There's a little score effects. Mike Maniscalco was telling me the Ducks went up 3-0 in the first and then kind of tried to lock it down the final 40, and Carolina pushed. So you'd figure Carolina would have a shot advantage. It was 35-25. But the other games, Colorado was 27-27. They lost 7-4 at Seattle. Shots were 36-36. And they had a a shootout win against the Kings. They got outshot 30-19. They scored five goals. The sixth goal is a shootout goal. They scored five goals on 19 shots. Great efficiency, but that's not really Carolina Hurricanes hockey. So I feel like some things are a little bit off kilter for them early this year. Now, maybe getting Ajo back will will settle things down for them. But the penalty killing number is striking that it's so low based on kind of this team's DNA and the fact that they're giving up I'll, I'll say it this way. The fact that they are giving up so many more shots than they normally do is also an indication that they probably don't have the puck as much as they want or as they do when they're really rolling. And what's interesting there is, did you see uh, Dimitri Olav's plus minus? Yeah, so wow. 
you that's know what I'll say about minus that? 10? Well, okay. So first of all, they've given up a lot of goals. Second of all, he's new to this team. He had a training camp, but he's new to this team. And the Carolina Hurricanes play a very different form of defense than a lot of other NHL teams. They play man-to-man. And they are very consistent with playing man-to-man. And I'm not sure that Dmitry Orlov has ever really been in a system like that before in Washington or in Boston. So the Hurricanes players that have been there a while know it. But I asked Mike about that, and he said Brent Burns, who had a great year last year, great year, said he was basically confused until December figuring this out. Right. And that might be Orlov's case. That's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, that's that's a striking number. Right. But he is he is trying to, like, go to school. I'm doing air quotes here. He's going to school and learning the system as the team itself is struggling. You're learning on the fly. You're learning on the bit. fly, and your team you is are. giving up a lot of goals. Yep. They can't, they kind of, they, they would, Burns last year was basically protected, I think, because they got off to such a great start that whatever his problems were in terms of having this become muscle memory were covered up essentially, whether it was the goaltender yeah. or they just had the puck a lot. So he didn't have to worry about playing without the puck this year. It's different as a team. They aren't quite as sharp. And then the other part of this, and we've seen this with the lightning, like you start making the playoffs every year. You start going deep in the playoffs every year. Can you push the pedal all the way to the floor in the regular season, especially early in the regular season? Maybe there's a little of that going on, too. Make some sense. At Bolts Radio, Slavin has a a nice plus minus, though. You know, that's one of those where I, I, you know, I mean, I don't I don't put a ton of stock in that, but, you know, um, when it gets to be a certain number or if your guy, if one player is standing out compared to the rest, maybe you can you can figure some things out with with those numbers. He's scoring like he actually leads all NHL yeah. defensemen in points with 70 as two shorthanded goals. So those are two That's pluses. Incredible. That's incredible. Actually. So look, they have allowed they've allowed 9 goals when they have been shorthanded. Overall, they've allowed 20 sorry, 30 goals. So almost a third of the goals they've allowed have come while they're on the penalty kill. So only 21, look at it this way, Greg. There have been 21 goals scored where somebody can get a minus. Orlov has been out for 10 of those at least. If he has any pluses, he's been out for more than that, right? That's one way to look at it. There have been 21 goals scored against the Hurricanes through six games in which the players on the ice would have gotten a minus. Not 22, not 25, 21. That's a finite number. Orlov is minus 10. So basically, he has been out there for at least, basically, half of the goals they have allowed when they haven't been on the penalty kill. Because you don't get a minus. Incredible. If you don't, yeah. if you don't get a minus when a when the other team scores a power play goal. That is correct. At Bolts Radio, if you want to get involved in the conversation, you certainly can. 
what do you make of the game tonight? You know, look, an opportunity probably for Tampa Bay to, I don't want to say take advantage of a team that's not clicking. And, of course, Carolina can say the same thing, Dave. We know that. But I don't know. Typically, Carolina, I think, is just a tough opponent to play anyways. I think anytime yeah. you can get them a little wounded, I mean, I think there's an opportunity there for the Lightning to collect some points. You know, especially with some of the things they want to work on and taking advantage of Carolina maybe not clicking the way they typically do as a team because they're very efficient. Well, look, you brought up yesterday, Greg, through two games of this five-game homestand, the Lightning have three out of four points. Putting aside the disappointment of the loss on Saturday, that is pretty good. But if they lose tonight in regulation, let's say, then it becomes very average. So... Tonight's game is a pretty important game when we look at the homestand as a whole because they have, let's be honest, a subpar team. Based on where they were last year and what they've done so far this year, the Sharks have basically been overwhelmed in a lot of the games that they've played against a variety of opponents. That's an opportunity for the Lightning to lay the hammer down, and Seattle has had a very uneven start. I mean, they did beat Carolina, but they've kind of scuffled out of the gate. So... If you win tonight or you get points out of this game, you set yourself up for a pretty successful homestand. Yeah. Got to go out and do it against these last two teams coming in. But it's not like they're seeing Colorado and Vegas, let's say, you know, coming in. We're seeing we're seeing two teams, one of which, let's be honest, is is probably projected to be near the bottom of the standings in the NHL. And the other team is a good team, but figuring some things out, at least at this point. And on a long road trip. Yeah, for sure. Kraken will be on a long road trip when they come to Tampa. At Bolts Radio, if you want to get involved in the conversation, you can. What do you make of tonight's game, Tampa Bay and Carolina? Uh, Did we get confirmation? Is Johansson in net? Did you already... We think he's uh, well. It wasn't. uh, Yeah, he was in the starters net. So I think the answer to that is yes. Dahan Dahan is in playing with Radish. Perbix is playing with Sergachev, Chernak and Hedman, and they swapped Paul and Sorelli. Coop was asked about that this morning too. He gave rather a terse answer. (laughs) That was Chris Kren's question. Um, uh, I forget how he, it was a yes or no. So I think it was, do you put, do you have your reasons? I think he phrased it like this. Do you have your reasons for switching Paul and Sorelli? And Coop's answer was yes. <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. Could you let us know? You know, I think Austin's looking are. up that, that one word answer. He's we finding can... it. We could probably just drop that. That could be a, that could be like a sound effect for us. Yes, <laughs> whatever we want. I think we could probably. I probably I probably bungled the actual question that Chris Cran asked, but I know the answer was yes. And then Eric asked about switching up the D, and Coop gave him a longer answer and kind of gave a nod. It's like it's kind of like Chris's question. So. I think Austin's trying to find it, potentially. Anyway. Did we get sucked in by the black hole again? Because I saw no. you go away, and I was talking. 
Oh, I didn't hear you. <laughs> yeah, so you were in the black hole. I was in the black hole. <laughs> I'm I'm firmly grounded in in Studio Central, so I don't think can we even get into a black hole in here? I don't think I think if we get into a black hole, nobody would hear anything. And that's a million dollar studio. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. You know, it's got all the bells and whistles and I think John Cooper would be happy if he he stopped on by and yeah. shared some time with you. But that would be fun. We got we do have some questions yeah, actually, from our audience. I, I spoke with Victor yeah. Hedman this morning and I actually Ooh. asked him a question that a lot of our fans had been asking about the defense backing in. I said we've had questions from fans on our show about why did the defense back in? And his response was, well, obviously on an odd man rush, you're not going to be standing up in the blue line. If it's a two-on-one or a three-on-two, the defense is going to back in. He's like, in a two-on-two, we want to close. But sometimes you're reading the play, and there might be a third guy coming late. So it looks like a two-on-two, but they are seeing that basically the, the third forward for the Lightning is behind the third forward for the opposition. Mm-hmm. And therefore, you do have to back in. So I think generally what he is saying is it's not strategy to back in, but you're reading and reacting in a split second. And you have to figure out the best course of action at that moment. Sure. And then he also acknowledged that, you know, when an Austin Matthews is is barreling down the wing on you and it is a two-on-two, you don't want to get walked and it's going to turn into a two-on-one. Right. So you have to acknowledge who has the puck as well. At Bolts Radio, if you want to get involved in the conversation, you certainly can. He's Dave Mishkin. I am Greg Lanelli. His uh, Lightning Radio carries on. We've got the game tonight. Pre-game will start at 6.30 at Amelie Arena. Do you want to get into some questions as we... Hold on. Austin maybe has that clip. Uh-oh, he's got it. I How are we going to get this over the air? Do it, Austin. Do it. Do it. Can you play Chris's question, too? I want to hear the whole thing. <laughs> He's smiling. He's, he's frantically getting to it. All right. I don't know. It's All on right. his computer. How's he going to get that over the air? Oh, he's feeding it to Steve. The, All right. So you guys just give me the thumbs up when it's ready to go. Why don't we get to a question in the meantime? And when we do that, we usually start off with Al. Yeah. He says, all the talk about Tampa Bay's overtime three-on-three woes carrying over from the playoffs is a bit misleading. It is. Play, uh, playoffs are five-on-five, so it's more about being outworked at five-on-five, in my opinion. OT has lost some of its luster due to all the regroups. Should it be tweaked? Maybe a shot clock. Thoughts? It will not be tweaked. I think the league is happy with three-on-three for a couple of reasons. First of all, I mean, I do think it is exciting. And second of all, we have seen fewer shootouts as a result of the three-on-three. Yeah. And I think the league, I mean, the league put in shootouts, so they want to have a winner at the end of every game, but I also think that they would like more games decided before the shootout, and that has been accomplished. Did he say, what did he say about the five-on-five at the beginning of that? That... Playoffs are five-on-five, so it's more about being outworked. I See, that I disagree with. No, no, no. Uh, Yeah. Playoff overtime is not about being... Playoff overtime, five-on-five, I mean, it's not like you lose a game because you're being outworked. I mean, sometimes that is the case. Sometimes one team just makes a play. Coop's point was, in the three-on-three, he feels they're being outworked. 
that they're being too passive, that they're not going and getting it. They're almost sitting back and saying, let our goalie make a save, and then we'll try and go on the attack. So that part I I take a little exception with, Al. I don't think that if you lose a game in overtime in the playoffs, it means necessarily you were outworked. Sometimes you're outworked. Sometimes the team dominates overtime and scores. Sometimes the team dominates overtime and loses in five-on-five. We've seen both. There's no question the Lightning have been snake-bitten in overtime in the playoffs, though, going back the last couple of years. Going back to their 2021 Cup run, they were 0-4 in overtime games, and they won the Stanley Cup. The next year, they won one overtime game. It was a big one. It was game six against Toronto. So they staved off elimination, but they lost every other overtime game in the playoffs that year. And then last year, they lost the three, including in game six, to Toronto. But I think if you look back at all of those losses, Al, I don't think you would find a common denominator of, yeah, they just got outworked. I don't think that was the case. What's interesting about hockey in general he mentioned about tinkering with the three-on-three. I think anytime, Al, you put more rules in, anytime you, you keep tinkering, I always think that's a bad a bad recipe because I think you just make it too complicated. Mm-hmm. No system is going to be perfect. Can you tinker here and there with things? Sure. I think three-on-three on its surface in terms of how it was presented is as good as it's going to be when you introduce something new. Because when you introduce, introduce something new to any sport, Dave – there is always a a learning curve and adjustments will be made. Very rarely do you just roll out something and basically say three on three, and it continues to basically be the same format since it's been instituted, which tells me, for me, they got it right. Yeah, We can tinker with the shootouts because I think originally that was a really good idea. Some people feel like it's lost Mm. its luster, but the alternative is, okay, either you go back to ties or you just extend yeah and they're not going to do that something not yeah, during the regular season they're not no, going to extend so over time i actually think for a league that in many ways is still caught up in that old guard mentality where they're still fighting and you know it's certain things that that constitute what hockey used to be is still implemented in the game today i actually think it's a sport in many ways when you take a look post-strike, that has tried to be creative in evolving their game. And I think the three-on-three and the shootouts are a a great example. Baseball, obviously, with the the pitch clock now, I think would be one of those. I think football is always, you know, whether they go for the two-point conversion now or the way they're protecting players, I think probably better than... They adjusted kickoffs. To yeah. Try and so help players. I, I, honestly, I think football, and it might it might make the most sense because it's the most physical. But I also think because there were heavy lawsuits involved, they were the ones that had to change more in terms of how the game was being played. But basically, all of the major sports have had significant rule changes to either protect players or to better the game and evolve the game. I actually think hockey might have implemented changes that have been very entertaining within how their game is played compared to the others. 
Well, and maybe I'll the others s- didn't need it. Maybe yeah. the others didn't need it. Hockey did. They found a way and said, let's go three on three. And I, I think that's one of the more entertaining aspects of any sport. Well, apparently Al disagrees with you because he said of course he, does. He, he finds it. I think that's he okay. said the equivalent of boring or he said too much well, puck possession. Look, that's that fine. first game between the Lightning and Flyers in 2015 was, Jason Garrison, I mean, right? that was like shinny hockey. And <laughs> yeah. yeah, Jason Garrison. <laughs> scored the winner, and you knew the coaches were going to try and adjust. So now it is a little bit more, or maybe a lot more, of a possession game. But sometimes you find overtime games that kind of take on a life of their own, and it is back and forth. But even the possession game, as we've seen in these two lighting losses in overtime, where they've had very little possession, like it is not just being safe to protect the puck. If you protect the puck and you don't let the other team get it, it becomes tiring for the other team. Three-on-three is man-on-man defense, and you have to cover a lot of ground. And if you don't have the puck, it is hard to defend three-on-three, even if you are able to change players for two, three, four straight minutes. And, I mean... The Lightning didn't have the puck much against Toronto, but when they did, they made a pretty big mistake with it. Would they have made that mistake if they had more puck possession? I don't know. So, look, I think that the the three-on-three has evolved a little bit in terms of how teams attack each other, but I do think it's still way more wide open with more opportunities to score goals than in five-on-five, and that's why it makes sense. I believe we have the the clip ready, Greg, if you want to hear it. Now that I've literally and figuratively queued this thing up for 10 minutes. I know it's a lot of different line combinations early, but what kind of goes into the decision to swap Paul and Sterling? Um, lots. Sorry, he didn't say yes. He said lots. <laughs> <laughs> That was the end of that was the end of the answer. <laughs> that wasn't as bad. Yeah, well, it was two it's words because he said, than, you know, "Um, um, lots." Yeah. Period. Should we play that for Chris Gren when he's on with me this in the pregame? Chris, we heard you had a pretty lengthy exchange. I would like that with, lots. Uh, I would like that that lots when Lightning win a game convincingly, and you tee up the show by saying. How much do you think John Cooper liked their performance? And we can be lots. We can just <laughs> play that. Look right? at you getting creative with yeah. the sound bites. I like that about yeah. you. I don't normally do Perfect. that. That's not really no. in my wheelhouse. But you know what? Look, that I can is, make that means you're evolving. You're evolving, though. You're you're kind like look. You're a radio I guy. A, but you're I not have a really vote a radio on the guy. show, don't I? Yeah, it's a it's a big vote. It's a big vote. It carries weight. By yeah. the way, I want to thank the fans. Steve told me, like, our downloads, and downloads don't only apply to actually downloading the show. If you just listen to the show, you stream the show, even if it's after the fact, through one of our different platforms to listen to the show. That counts. Our numbers are really high relative to last year, so far this year. I think more people know where we are now. Mm-hmm. It's on the Lightning app. Past shows, you can find I us right there. I think that's the other thing. It's visible. Yeah. Let's face it. People don't like to dig around. And they want to have it conveniently in front of them. So when you have this lightning app, what's really the first thing that pops up, or one of them at least? I mean, it's you can find our show. Yeah. And we're hoping you stay with us because you like the content. Do you know, Steve, are people... 
listening through Tell the app, or are they going to their different platforms? Or that's he he can look that up. I bet you're right, though. I bet a lot of people are are basically using the app. Yeah, as the method to access. Why the wouldn't show. they? And then you're hoping that they stay. And that's the other thing we can kind of track is how long are they listening? I think. Maybe not. But you, there's usually a metric there where you can, yeah, look, they're staying with you for 15 minutes or 20 minutes. And mm-hmm. I mean, when I listen to podcasts, I, I like to go back and, you know, when I know I have a long drive, I'm not going to be interrupted. Or if I'm doing stuff around the house, uninterrupted. Yeah. Which is hard when you have a seven and a four-year-old. And baby on the way. And baby on the way. Mm-hmm. At, at See, you know what? Our strategy was we don't want to have to go back to diapers. That was the attitude that we had. And my children are 18 months apart. They no longer wear diapers, by the way, they're in high school. <laughs> but once we said goodbye to the diapers, that was it. You, my friend, you don't mind returning to the diapers, I'm guessing. Seven four we don't and, now. and we don't now. zero, right? <laughs> Seven four and and to be born means that you are you are returning, yeah, to the diaper section. That is true. And Dave, how many more diapers? power to you, Dave? How many diapers will he go through? Um, lots. <laughs> <laughs> we are we are nimble here. I love it. See, I couldn't have done that. I just, See, that's I just radio. punted that. I just teed that up, but Steve, Steve swung the driver 300 yards right down the fairway. Incredible. Incredible. <laughs> um, lots. Yeah, and speaking of speaking of diapers, I mean, John Cooper, twins, and then another kid. So his twins came first, and then twin daughters, and then the son. What about Twins the people? Harder? How about you know. who who are we just talking to? Oh, it was Brian Boyle. Brian Boyle did a thing at our all staff meeting. He actually interviewed Coop. It was really it was really enjoyable. And it was great to see Brian Boyle. So I remember when Brian Boyle played here, his first child was born. That was while he was a player with the Lightning. So now he has five kids. Five. He has five kids. He has now? five kids. Are so they're twins or so. They had three, and then twins. They went from three to five. That's a big. <laughs> That's <laughs> that a big, big jump. <laughs> At least they've had experience, but I don't know how people with twins do it. Ryan Bellick has twins. How do you, how do the kids ever sleep? Because you know, babies don't sleep. And if one baby is not sleeping, that means the other baby is not sleeping either. And mommy and daddy are not sleeping, as well. That's incredible. He was he was very grateful for the invitation to fly to Tampa and spend a night in a hotel room by himself. He said as much. He's like, I got eight hours of sleep. I'm feeling great. I don't even know what I would do with eight hours of sleep, to be honest. My kids... Uh, At seven and four, you're not getting a full night's sleep? <laughs> well, you know how it is. They bring home everything. Oh, Yeah. You know, it's just one of those things. So my four-year-old's been home the last couple of days. She's better now. She had a what the seven-year-old had last week, which was just one of those awful coughs. You know, and then you have the fever, and that's just kind of where we are. 
And yet you have plowed through doing your power lunch every day, and we wouldn't have known any different. <laughs> no. Yeah. Well, you have to bribe her. My wife's home now because she had to go into the office. I'm looking at a full disclosure of everything that goes up. <laughs> like, you know, you have, uh, here's some strawberries in a cup. Here's Peppa Pig on the TV and maybe a popsicle in a little bit, but just like, you can't bother me for an hour. <laughs> Does it work? No, I, I've often told Steve, I think my daughters, both of them, at times since I've been working for the Lightning. And by the way, LinkedIn said it was nine years that I've been working for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Congratulations. <laughs> I, I, but I, like, I, don't, I don't keep track. But like, people were, hey, congratulations. You had a start date, obviously. Work, I guess I just put it down. Okay. You know what I mean? Um, but it was one of those things where it's, you know. Once she got home, then you're you're kind of in the clear. But I'm both my daughters. I think have made their radio debuts mm -hmm. over the course of since they've been born. Kind of as a sound effect, right? As a background. sound effect for <laughs> sure, for sure as a sound effect. So it adds a little bit to it. Jay says five on five needs to be lights out, and or the power play needs to finish on most opportunities if they want to win tonight. Carolina, Carolina despite hobbled will be incredibly difficult to beat. Can't let more games get away from the Bulls. Carolina always gives the Lightning a good game, I feel. And look, I mean, the power play has done everything that you could hope for. When Stamkos has been in the lineup, this is a Chris Krenstad. He had this in the game notes today. So their power play overall is at 35%. Very good. Yeah. But when Stamkos is in the lineup, they are at 50%. And Carolina's penalty kill has struggled. Yeah. But they could do well in this game without scoring, let's say, one or two power play goals. Right. It would help. It always helps. But I think it's yeah. more about how they manage the the five on five. He had that in there as well. I also asked Hedman, like, what's the best way of dealing as best you can with this Carolina four check? He said the simple play. Don't overthink it. Don't get cute. Probably could say that for a lot of things, right? Yeah. You know, keep it simple, stupid, right? Right. But it's not as easy as one plus one equals two. I mean, you got to no. keep in mind that let's say the puck gets dumped into your corner, you're a defenseman, you're going back to track it, you have a guy bearing down on you, going full steam ahead. Got to make a quick decision. So, yeah, you don't want to get cute. You want to keep it simple, but you got to make sure your decision is the right decision. Yeah. That's that why hockey sense. is a game of mistakes, because there's so much reading, as in reading plays, that happens for every player on the ice. And you have to make a decision within the blink of an eye. And sometimes that decision is not the right decision. Yeah. It makes sense. There's no doubt about it at Bolts Radio. If you want to get involved in the conversation, you certainly can. As we take your questions getting set for the game tonight. And we've got some more questions coming in. Jay also had another follow-up. I think it deals with some players down in Syracuse. Who's more likely to get called up? Edmonds or Gonsalves? I don't think Fortier or Kepke do anything notable, and Finley is too far from being ready. Thoughts on Jack Thompson's potential to get a spot in the near future? That's really a Stacy Roost 
more than one question. He had lots of questions. But those questions are best answered by Stacy Roost, who is the GM of Syracuse and has his finger on the pulse of all of this. I, I will say this. Gonsalves has been a pretty good scorer in the American Hockey League. But he did not exactly, like, he was not still with the Lightning in week two. So that tells you something. It's not like he's a first-year guy or a second-year guy. Like, he's in his third year. So I would say, putting it gently, he could have had more of an impact in training camp than he did. And I'm basing that on when he was sent down. Edmonds is a little bit of a different story. He had a very good second half of the year last year in Syracuse. So he was building, right? They may want him to experience more AHL hockey and and gain more reps in situations where he's going to be playing a lot as opposed to coming up here. And let's use yeah. Merrill as an example. You know, Merrill is getting his 11 minutes or so a night. You know, if Merrill were in Syracuse, he'd probably be playing, you know, 18 to 19 minutes in much different situations. He is on penalty kill with the Lightning, but he's right. not first over the boards on penalty kill. He's not seeing power play time. A guy like that probably would be in Syracuse. So those are the sorts of considerations. Fortier was here in week two, and I respectfully disagree. I thought Cole Kepke had a very good camp. I thought he did too. Yeah. Look quick or fast, you know, and I... I kind of like his game a little bit. And look, he showed something when he was. His game should translate. Yeah, his game should translate that he's a, a big guy. He can skate. You know, he does go to the net. I mean, it should translate to the NHL game. He's not a perimeter player. He hasn't really showed that he's a perimeter player, which is not what you want. If, if you're trying to get to the NHL and you're built like him. You want to go to the high-traffic areas. He mentioned Finley's had a lot of injury problems, and, and was he was practicing, but he wasn't able to, to participate, I would say, in the training camp or the preseason. But Thompson looked good. I like Thompson. There were a lot of young defensemen the Lightning have that impressed me in the camp. I liked Crozier. I liked Lilleberg. I thought that they all showed yeah. well. It's just I think there's no room for them right now at the NHL level. And, again, they will benefit by playing a lot in Syracuse. Hmm. At Bolts Radio, I would agree. I hope that answers your questions or those answers. I think it does. Satisfy your questions. Yeah. At Bolts Radio. Hit us up on Twitter. Matt reached out. Honestly, I mainly have the app for Power Lunch. And if I end up not hearing it live, I listen to it on Spotify. Thank you, Matt. Love that. But no panicking here. Still a long season. Just got to keep playing our game, and we will get there. Feel Merrill is close to his first goal. So the one thing I will say, Matt, is if you miss the show, this is what we're saying, it is on the app. Like, if you go to the app... A recorded show after the fact is available there for you. But if you want to go to Spotify, go for it. Whatever works for you. But I think that's what we were talking about, that it's it's right there for you. Yes. Of course, if you want to tune in, you can through the app and just hit the radio button between 12 and 1. 
So they made it very user friendly, which is great. And we've got a bunch of other programming out there. Yes. Steve's doing a show. We've mm-hmm. got Gabby Shirley and Chris Kren. Block Party with Luke Glendening was the guest Party. last yeah. week. That was really enjoyable. I listened to that. Content. Mm-hmm. He mentioned Marilla. I mentioned on the show yesterday, I thought it was Marilla's best game of the year on Saturday. And he didn't score. And I don't know if his first goal is is going to come tonight or whenever, but if he plays like he did on Saturday and is able to kind of command the puck and command his his space and make space for himself the way he did against the Leafs, I do think he will score sooner rather than later. He's getting close. I like his game, but at some point you got to do something, right? You got to score a little bit. You do. It, it's just the way it is. You're not going to play 82 games, not score, and have us saying, "I really like his game. <laughs> yeah. I'm impressed." And you got to, you got to start doing something. And I understand he's he's a rookie in terms of NHL experience. His age is a little bit different than you know 20, 21 year old. But it's like Barry Boulay. I like his game. Yeah, I like his game. But eventually, but the next score. step for these guys. Well, he did. But he, we need more of that from him. And I think. That's Dave, that is the struggle that every young player finds. You've got to contribute and make an impact in your own way. So for guys like Barry Boulet, it's going to come more offensively. It's maybe not going to be and translated into the production you put up down at Syracuse. I think that would be unrealistic, although it would be great if he did. But I think people are looking at it and saying, okay, how, do, how does your offensive output at the AHL level translate to the NHL level in a role where you're not going to have as a, a significant impact that you did down at the AHL. Yeah. You got to find a balance. But eventually what you do, you've got to start contributing. And that's in more ways than just going out there maybe not turning the puck over and I'm understand I'm being very simplistic in in my analysis there. Dustin says, I'll listen live on the app if lunchtime works out. Otherwise, I'll download it as a podcast. Bolt's Burner. Who else is ready for this NHL frenzy on ESPN? Yeah, that's right. Did you know that the NHL... So I knew that... How many games It's actually Frozen Frenzy is what they're calling it. So I knew that Frozen Frenzy meant that it's 16 games, so every team is playing. Did you realize that they are staggering the start times? I had no idea because our game is starting... Our game being the Lightning game is starting at the usual time, 7 o'clock. But this is the only game that is starting at 7 Eastern. The 16 games are starting at 15-minute intervals. The first one starts at 6, and the next one starts at 6.30, and then they're going at 15-minute intervals, which is kind of ingenious when you think about it. I mean, some of the intermissions will overlap, but not all the games that's – because not all the games are starting at the same time. The intermissions won't all be taking place beginning to end at the same time. Yep. And ESPN is going to go back and forth between games, kind of like the Red Zone channel in the NFL. Yeah. Love that. Who else is ready? We all are ready. What was he going to say, though? He goes, definitely we'll be switching back and forth between Bally and ESPN. Exciting times for the NHL, Greg and Dave. Red Zone, but hockey style. That's exactly what Steve said. I so know. yeah, I know. I know. It's great. I-, I do feel like the NHL is trying to... Mm-hmm. 
I don't want to say find creative ways to bring in the casual fan, but to just make the game more accessible or more interesting. Obviously, a lot of that's going to be the product on the ice. And I, it's hard to get past that initial phase of people who just, they weren't around the game to understand it. That doesn't mean you can't. Going to a hockey game, I think, is the best sporting event you can see live. And I love basketball, too. But I think hockey, there's just a, a pace to it that's just... You can never keep your eyes off of the ice. But, I mean, I think they're trying, whether it's the different ways you can access the games now on TV through different areas, whether it's trying to promote the young talent that you have coming up. Did you hear there's this kid named Bedard playing in Chicago? They really have tried to drum it up, Bedard. But I think, were we having the conversation? Or it might have been myself, Eric, and Jay Retcher, the three of us were talking and they were his name was brought up and it was it was talking about promoting the game and it's like well for all those years did they take advantage of Crosby and Ovechkin as much as they could have maybe maybe not do you remember them promoting Crosby and Ovechkin as much as they did Bedard for opening night Dave no and you could make the case that Crosby and Ovechkin are I mean, you know how I feel about Crosby. I think he's going to go down as one of the top five players of all time. Ovechkin's going to go down as the greatest goal scorer, potentially, if not the second. I mean, you, you couldn't you couldn't do a better job promoting those two? But but what I'm saying is that maybe they learned from all of that. And I'm fortunate mm-hmm. that it had to take maybe missing out on those two. Like, they always promoted Pittsburgh and Washington. You know what I mean? I don't think you had a problem promoting and a lot of that was Crosby and Ovechkin rivalry but it felt like it was more of hey they're meeting in the playoffs you know than it was individually really yeah hammering but I mean home. you're mentioning Crosby and Ovechkin even more recently have they promoted or I should back up did they promote Connor McDavid when he entered the league this way I understand he was playing in Edmonton but still right I think most people would agree that he is the most dynamic electric player in the NHL. And he has been for a while. Did they did they put a lot of focus on Austin Matthews when he came into the league? Again, he plays for a Canadian-based team, but there's no reason why you can't promote, you know, these top top guys. This is the first time that I can really remember them doing it to this extent with Bedard and the people who know marketing probably would say about time right right that makes sense love it it's interesting um you learn from those mistakes you're not always going to get a generational talent but honestly when you think about hockey over the last day of 25 30 years I mean, you've had, I mean, from Crosby, Ovechkin, basically to Connor McDavid. That, I mean, that's as good as it's going to get in any sports, mm-hmm. in any sport league, in terms of just how huge it can be. But, you know, learn from the mistakes. Get it done. Yep. And they're putting Bedard yeah. on one of the national games. There are three ESPN games. Or on their networks, I should say it that way. And one of them is Boston at Chicago. 
Well, partner, that's going to wrap it up for us today. We'll be back at it tomorrow, but I'm going to see you down at the rink in a few. Yes, you will. Lightning and hurricanes. First of three. Should be fun. Steve. Seven o'clock. Austin, right? We got the regular start time. Let's go. Let's go. Thank you for everybody who listened and told all your friends. I'm Greg Linelli. We'll be with you again tomorrow right here on Lightning Radio.